Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are. I, I'm pretty excited about this <laughs> conversation today. This takes me back to my days in in grad school. I almost said grade school, although I might have studied <laughs> grade school as well. I would too. Um, liturgical history, all kinds of Lutheran worship, all the good stuff that, man, can't wait to talk about it. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Dr. Paul Grimm, Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Mission at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, also Project Director for Lutheran Service Book and its companion volumes from Concordia Publishing House. Dr. Grimm, welcome to the Coffee Hour. Thanks for having me this morning. I'm pretty excited. I don't know how we can pack this all into the coffee hour, 25 minutes this morning, but we're going to dig into it. The Lutheran Service Book and its its companion volumes, a huge undertaking, big project. Why was it important to you to be involved in this project of developing Lutheran Service Book and all the accompanying pieces that, that support it? I had served for eight years as a pastor in Milwaukee. And during those years was using the current hymnal that had been published by Concordia Publishing House in the Synod back in 1982. It had many fine features, but anyone who used it also knew that there were some things perhaps that we wish had been included that weren't. And, and that made sometimes for difficulty when it came to worship planning, etc. And likewise, in the ensuing years after that publication, there had been a literal explosion in hymn writing in the English language. Already it started in the 70s, but it had continued through the 80s and 90s and into the 21st century. And there were just so many hymns, many of them in good, very good hymns that we felt would be beneficial for our people to be singing as well. And thirdly, the, the, react, the reality is that churches update their hymnals. They, they need to update them for a variety of reasons. When our forefathers came to this country, they brought their hymnals with them, but it didn't take too many years before they realized they couldn't just go online you know, and order more copies from the old country. They had to produce their own hymnals so that as they grew, as new members joined the church, as children were born, baptized, confirmed, they would need hymnals. And, and so they produced their own hymnal that was published in this country. So there, there's a long history we don't publish hymnals willy-nilly just every few years. We want to do another one. I mean, it, it takes time to, to do such serious work and to do it well. It really takes time. And in fact, when the decision was made to prepare a new hymnal for the Synod back in 1996, we announced that we were going to give ourselves up to a decade. To We felt that we didn't want to be rushed. I mean, when you rush, you usually make bad decisions. And, and in fact, that long period of time to allow ideas to, to incubate and, and to be able to sometimes even second guess ourselves and, and to change decisions we had made was really beneficial because it, it gave time for everyone just to let the ideas settle in and, and to inform the church about what we were doing so that they would be able to receive the hymnal with, with open arms. This companion to the services, is this the first uh, this type of companion for any of our Lutheran hymnals? Not exactly. The previous hymnal, Lutheran Worship, did have a companion. It was called Lutheran Worship History and Practice. Huh. And it was intended to provide background, history, theological explanation of various parts of the service. The, the, the hymnal before that, the Lutheran hymnal did not have a, a, a comparative a volume. Uh, 
we did have an interesting volume published way back at the end of the 19th century in 1895, Friedrich Lochner, who was a professor of liturgics at the seminary in Springfield, Illinois, he produced a, a volume that, that wasn't tied to a particular hymnal. It was written in German, but it was giving history and background to the services. And it wasn't a comprehensive book, but it was a well-prepared book. And in fact, Concordia Publishing House, just in the last year or two, produced an English translation of that book. So it, it was kind of interesting that has come out preceding this companion for Lutheran service book just by a couple of years to kind of give us a glimpse into a much earlier period in the synods. But this is the first time, when this, I'm sorry, it's not the first time, but, it, but for Lutheran service book, it is now kind of the definitive book in terms of trying to give some background and history. And I use that word definitive somewhat loosely because it's never definitive. <laughs> there is just way too much to say about the church's worship as it's developed over the course of centuries and centuries in various places around the world. And, and I mean, how we're heirs of an astonishingly, astonishingly rich tradition. That's how Norman Nagel put it when he wrote the introduction for Lutheran worship. Mm -hmm. and, and that rich tradition is one that continues to be handed down and scholars continue to dig deeper into the sources to figure out exactly when the church did things, how they added things. Quite often, we don't even know. I mean, we have to just use the passive voice. This was added in the 11th century, more or less. You know, it's, it's, we can't be so precise because quite often we don't have precise details, but we have a very good picture. And, and our goal with this book is to begin to give people, you know, even more resources to help them to understand better. I think sometimes we naively as Christians and, and maybe as Lutherans just presume, like the average person in the pew might just presume that the, the liturgies that we have, the orders of service that we have were just somehow like handed down to us from God just as they are and skipping over the entire history of how they developed that. I just, this takes me back to grad school and getting to learn about the, the history of the liturgy and how beautiful it is that the great beauty and history of, as you pointed out, tradition in these services. So what inspired this particular volume, the companion to Lutheran service books specifically for the services? Because I know there are other resources regarding the hymns and their history. What was it that inspired this volume about the services. As the work was done on Lutheran service book, it, we, we divided up the work among a number of committees. And there was one committee that was called the liturgy committee. And their task was really to develop the services, to research and um, test and try various you know, adaptations and changes, etc. It was within that group that the discussion was held pretty early in the process. We're probably talking the early 2000s already that we would hopefully be able to produce a volume that would give a thorough history and background and explanation, like a commentary almost on the service. Probably toward the end, just before the hymnal was produced, and that was actually published in 2006, but the committee had actually begun looking at least at some ideas of what we want to include in the book. We kind of had a rough outline of a few chapters, but, but it was very um, vague at that point yet. Uh, in 2007, I concluded my service with the Synod and uh, the Commission on Worship and came to the seminary here in Fort Wayne to begin teaching and serving as dean of the chapel. And I had taken up the leadership of the project even before moving here, but retained that as I arrived. There was um, still some staff in St. Louis, but they were occupied with many other things and so really didn't have the wherewithal to continue. Uh, and so using mostly the members of the liturgy committee, we began the process of starting to work on, on this project. 
Some of them were able to contribute significantly to the project, others in smaller ways. And, and we had to reach out to a few other people as well. I, I've not written this whole book. I edited the whole thing and, and helped to guide the process, which in and of itself can take a lot of time because you have various authors and you want to really try to have a unified sense for a book like this. It's just not a bunch of individual chapters where each person's writing on his most interested subject. It's, it needs to have a continuity that provides kind of a consistent message as, as we try to work our way through all these services, through the history of worship, how it's developed over the centuries, how to put these things into practice, recognizing that not every congregation is going to do everything the same way. And so I mean, all of those different issues are addressed at various points in, in, in the book. So for those of us who have, have been able, have been blessed to be able to uh, take a look at the Companion to the Hymnal, uh, which is a, a fabulous book. I absolutely love it. How does this Companion to the, the Services, how is it uh, different than the structure and the format of the Companion to the Hymnal? Yeah, thankfully it won't be as long. <laughs> I mean, that book clocks in at 2,600 pages, I believe. Uh, it's two, two volumes, actually. Uh -huh. I, I mean, and, and the, the beauty of that book is that it, it really does do original research that will be utilized by Christians of every denomination. If they're going to include one of the hymns that we have in our hymnal and their hymnals, they will have to consult this volume just because of the work that was done to, to detail the, the background and history, changes made to text and all those things. I, yeah, that book is set up so that the first volume literally takes you through all the hymns, starting with mm -hmm. hymn 331 all the way to the end of the book. And then the second volume has biographies of all the authors and composers, etc., and some essays on hymnody. This volume is set up differently. I mean, it's very much more set into sections with chapters. There's an opening section of, we call them prefatory essays, that kind of look at more broadly some aspects of, of worship. So the very first chapter is, is a detailed discussion of I mean, how Lutherans have thought of worship and looking specifically at the scriptures and the confessions to get a good sense of, of how we, you know, to kind of tease out the distinctions, et cetera, and by what we mean by these terms. Uh, and then there's other essays that talk about the pastor as a presider, you know, as one who leads the services. There's a chapter on symbolism. There's a chapter on vessels and vestments, so you know, kind of all the different trappings that are related to the service. Another one on music in the service, planning work. There's a nice chapter that gives kind of a history of the making of LSB, so it kind of tells the story of how we went about our work and, and kind of gives a little inside look at, at the committee work and some of the dis tough decisions we had to make and, and how we went about doing that. But, but then, I mean, the book is divided basically, I would say, into maybe four or you know, five sections after that. There's a nice long chapter in the church. And really, this book does cover the whole first 330 pages of the hymnal. The companion to the hymnal, hymns covers the rest of it, all the hymns. This covers the first part. So there's a nice long section on the church here on giving good background and on, on how the church here is structured, how it developed, looking at the themes, the emphases that one finds changing from season to season, et cetera. And, and then comes the big chapter, and that is on the divine service, which is the main service that we have, the service of word and sacrament. There's about a 150-page historical survey, so that's quite um, detailed. And then a 200-plus page commentary on the service, on, on just every aspect of the service from beginning to end. But then there's another whole section on the daily offices. So we're talking about daily services like matins, vespers, morning prayer, evening prayer. 
both some historical background and then a commentary on all those services, as well as then also those little smaller services that you have in the hymnal, the service of prayer and preaching, responsive prayer, the litany, etc. And then there are two more sections yet. We, we have the pastoral acts, which are represented in the hymnal by those four little short services for baptism, confirmation, marriage, and funeral. And then we have also, finally, a whole section on Holy Week. So in other words, the resources, they're not in the hymnal itself, actually, but in the altar book for the, the services, especially at the beginning of Lent and then all of Holy Week all the way through the Easter. So much packed into this resource and so many more questions I have to ask. <laughs> and we'll, do, uh, we'll, we'll get to a few of them in the next segment in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today we're talking with Reverend Dr. Paul Grimm. He's Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Mission at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and also Project Director for Lutheran Service Book and its companion volumes from Concordia Publishing House. Today we're zeroing in on the newest resource, and this is the Lutheran Service Book Companion to the Services. You can, I believe it's available for pre-order now. We are just having a blast talking with Dr. Grimm about uh, what has gone into this resource and what you can learn in it, what you'll find in it. Dr. Graham, why is it valuable to know the origin of these orders of service that we use daily or weekly in our congregations and in our homes? Why is it so valuable to understand where they come from? That's a good question, because it, it forces us to maybe go back to something we say quite regularly that we perhaps don't think about all the ramifications of. I'm referring to a phrase in the Nicene Creed, I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. As most people know, that word Christian actually in the original language was the word Catholic. And to understand that word, one has to make sure not to just say, well, that means universal, uh, because it does, but it means more than that. I mean, when we confess that we are the one holy Christian or Catholic and apostolic church, what we're saying is that we hold to that which has been taught faithfully and truthfully from the beginning. And, and at times we've had to wrestle with error and, and have to you know, cleanse you know, the church of those errors that, that creep into that faithful witness. But our, our worship really becomes a kind of evidence of that oneness that, that we have, that, that as we gather together with the faithful here in this time and place, you know, 2022, we are not alone. And that we are joined with Christians from every age. And the rich tradition that has been handed down to us, we don't use it just because it's a tradition. You know, oh, it's a nice thing. They did it, then we'll do it now. But what it helps to remind us of is the fact that we do petition our God with one voice, with all the saints from ages past. 
Now, we may do it differently than they did. We have different instrumentation that then was found at various points in the church's history, and different resources that are available, and we say it in different languages. But the reality is that our worship is one and the same as we receive God's gifts, as he bestows them so generously upon us, and as then our hearts are inspired to give thanks to him to return thanks. And it's like throwing a rock in the water. I mean, when that wa- rock hits the water, it cannot help but splash up. And, and that becomes kind of our response. And, and when, when we receive these gifts of God, that we give thanks to the Lord for his abundant mercy. And, and one of the things, when you really look through the history of the development of worship in, in, in the Western church in particular, I mean, this partly there at the Eastern church too, but we take divergent directions a little bit when the East and the West split in the 11th century. But what you see is just this amazing sense of that there's kind of a unified approach in many ways, though they say it with different language. You know, you can look in different places and times. And this is even true of Lutherans, you know, after this Reformation in the 16th century, that there's a lot of commonality in how they worship, but yet there's differences. And, and those differences celebrate the fact that God has given us, you know, wondrous gifts, and, and he continues to bless his church with great gifts, with poets, with musicians, who take that word of God and, and present it to us in new and fresh ways that cause us to ponder it anew, as one of the hymns describe God's grace and mercy and how we consider it each time. And, and so there is value in, in that study precisely so we realize that, that we aren't just called upon to try something different all the time and strike it new every moment, nor are we called to be just slaves to the past and do it just like it was done at a particular point in time. Rather, we take that which has been handed down through the ages, we receive it with thanksgiving, recognizing that our forefathers in the faith have worshipped and received God's gifts and given thanks to him in various ways, but yet with great commonality. And yet we then shape and use that rich heritage in our own age, so that we too can continue to let that voice ring forth, that one voice of the church as she returns her thanks and praise to God for his mercy and goodness. I know Andy and I are totally nerding out over uh, the release of this, um, and I sh- I'm sure there are, there are other people as well. Is this something that's going to be accessible for people who are maybe newer to Lutheranism or just really aren't familiar with the different the different services we have and why we do them? Is this going to be accessible to to that whole gamut of Lutherans and people who are interested in learning more? Wow, I hadn't thought yeah. of it that way. Yes and no, probably. There's going to be a lot of detail, without a doubt. I mean, the, the really arcane detail will be in the footnotes. And so, you know, it's kind of easy to skip those if you don't want to get, get bogged down. Uh, I do think that it, it, many parts of it will be of interest to people. Within the commentary on the services itself, we decided to go for a structure that would allow kind of for very quick access. And by that, I mean this, that each part of the service, whether we're talking about the Kyrie we're talking about the Creed or about the Sanctus, we've structured the commentary underneath it, it always the same, where it's divided into four main parts. You have the historical development. And so in that section, we just talk about, as far as we know, how this came into our usage within the service. Then you'll have the theological significance of that part of the service. And so that's where we begin to talk about what is this? Then there's another section called when planning the service. And and that helps to just, especially for pastors and musicians, for, for them to know and realize There are certain options that are sometimes available in different places and and what to choose from. In other words, how to use these resources as fully as the congregation can. Mm -hmm. And then finally, there's a a last section called for the presider. And this goes into details about, you know, what 
the presider or the musicians should be aware of when they're actually conducting the service. So decisions that have to be made in that regard and conduct of the service. That second section on the theological significance, that I think would be the section that will be of most interest to just, you know, anyone who's not involved with planning worship, leading worship, but has an interest that they would find, I think, some rich information there in terms of helping them to understand better. What does it mean when we sing this or when we say this and why should we continue doing that? Okay, now it's time for my unfair questions. Like you want to ask a parent, what, who is your favorite child? So through studying and, and researching and, and reading about all these services and learning the history of all these services, do you have one particular service or element of worship that really stands out for you that you really just appreciate even more now because of this? You're right. Unfair question. But yes, I, I can. I think I can, actually. I'm going to zero in on the beginning of the service of the sacrament. So this is mm. the second part of the service. We've completed the first part. We've heard the words of Jesus in the gospel and the preaching that flows forth from that. And then the, church, the service kind of takes just a little bit of a dip, a little lull, before we then start climbing our second hill, so to speak, where we're going to hear the words of Jesus again in the words of institution. And as we begin that climb, you have that opening preface dialogue, the Lord be with you. And then the pastor says, lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And then he continues on. This preface continues. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you. And then concludes, therefore with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name evermore, praising you and saying, and then the congregation can't help but launch into the song. Holy, holy Lord, God of Salios. It, it seems to me that that moment in the service is, is kind of a very unique spot. I mean, the forgiveness of sins is mentioned different places in the service. There's other things that are, you know, common themes that are mentioned. The, the theme of peace comes up again and again at the end of the communion service. But it's at this moment that something very unique happens as we hear this amazing moment of, it's described as a liminal moment where we're standing at a threshold. We've got one foot on this side and another foot on that side. One foot planted firmly here still on earth. But at this moment, we have our eyes opened, our hearts lifted up high to realize, oh, wait a minute, we also have a foot. In, and that part of the service, sadly, a lot of congregations skip, I think, to save time. They skip that part, which is just a, a sad reality that I hope that we can slowly remedy. But I would probably name that as my favorite spot. Okay. The other unfair question, just about a minute left. In in all of this history and all that, that you learned, I'm sure, by being an editor of this resource, being the editor of this resource, is there something in the history of Lutheran um, services that stands out as most peculiar or unusual, or you had no idea that it originated there? Something that was just a big surprise for you? Oh, well, yeah, that's a tough one, too. I'll, a real quick one. It, it, it's connected a little later in the communion service. No, actually, it's right there in the Sanctus. I take it back. Uh, in Walther's agenda, so C.F.W. Walther, first president of Synod, he was the editor of the Synod's first hymnal in German. He also then produced an agenda a few years later, which laid out the order of service as the Synod would then use it going forward. In the Sanctus, the second half of the Sanctus, you know, goes, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In his agenda, he actually provides options. Not just that, but he has seasonal options. For the um, Christmas season, blessed is Mary's son who comes in the name of the Lord. Hmm. And for Easter, blessed is the Paschal lamb who comes in the name of the Lord. 
and that I just was not aware of that tradition. I don't know if it was used very often because, you know, the people didn't have those words in a hymnal anywhere. And so it's just what they would have known to sing. And, and my suspicion is they really probably just sang a more generic, blessed is he who comes, as had been the history of the church's practice when choirs would sing that for congregations. And once we moved into English, we, we never retained those options. But it's an interesting little hmm. side note. Huh. That is fascinating. What was the nativity one? Blessed is? Uh, blessed is Mary's son. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I can't wait to see this book. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. The Lutheran Service Book Companion to the Services. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Paul Grimm, Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Mission from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne and Project Director for Lutheran Service Book and Companion Volumes from Concordia Publishing House, cph.org. Thank you so much, Dr. Grimm, for being our guest on the Coffee Hour today and all this great, rich history. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.